so this might be an unpopular opinion, but I'm actually team Hal on this. Like, how would you feel, you know, if you made a mistake and then people were like, maybe we should kill them? Um, you know, yeah, so he did murder like four people, but I think we should hear him out. I think it's important that we hear what Hal has to say. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Black Women Watch. We are now currently on episode 7, meaning that the next episode will be the last episode of the season and uh, I've been reflecting on this podcast for uh, quite some time, but more so recently in the past few days, but this has just been like such a big journey for me um, and it's a really... Like, it's a thing that I'm really proud of because I'm one of those people that I'm like, oh, okay, I want to do something. I want to start something. And then I never really finish. But the simple fact of the matter is that, you know, I am going to finish out a whole season of my own podcast, which if you would have told me like a year ago that I would have gotten my own podcast, I probably would have laughed at you a lot Um, just because, yeah, I don't like my voice. I was like, I don't know what I would talk about that sort of thing, but I am filled with so much gratitude um, to everyone that's taken the time out to listen, but I don't want to get too sentimental just yet. We'll save that for <laughs> for the next episode, but um, I do want to say that we have another special guest slash co-host coming on the show today. We have Miss Heaven Wong joining me, and I was going to read Heaven's bio, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to speak from the heart. I'm going to tell it how it really is. Um, Heaven is a good friend of mine. We've been friends, I think, for about two years now. Um, she's another fellow black woman screenwriter, and it is so good to be in community with her um, just because she's helped me a lot with some things. And um, I don't know, she's just awesome. <laughs> and like, she's just, she's such a brilliant writer, a brilliant mind. And I honestly would not be shocked if she like texted me and was like, yeah, I got a job writing on like SNL or some other like really big show um, because she's, she's destined for greatness, you guys. And you're going to witness that today when we talk about the movie we're going to be reviewing. So let's jump into that. It's written by Stanley Kubrick and Stanley C. Clarke. It is directed by Stanley Kubrick and it stars Gary Lockwood, Douglas Rain, and William Sylvester. On this episode titled Affirmative Dave, this is 1968's genre-defining movie, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Dave, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? No, not at all. I've wondered whether you might be having some second thoughts about the mission. How do you mean? Hi, Heaven. How are you? Hey, Tish. I'm good. Just in so... New York, which is very <laughs> hot and rainy right now. Yeah, I was surprised to hear that. I um, I was talking with someone and they were like, they were getting hit with like a lot of heavy rain. And I'm like, what, what is going on up there in New York? I'm not going to hold you. It's been raining for like four weeks straight. I feel really? like I live in like Seattle or something. Because <laughs> I, I know there, there was a tropical storm 
Mm -hmm. um, off the coast and it was supposed to hit us, but I don't think it ever did. I've been waiting for it. And then nothing's ever happened. We might get light rain, but that's it. And I'm like, well, I guess New York might be getting whatever's left over. I don't know what y'all got going on, but I mean, it's funny people that are not familiar with New York. We get hit by every type of like phenomenon. We get (laughs) tsunami. I'm not joking. Tsunamis, windstorms, tropical storms, hurricanes, snowstorms, everything. And that again is why. I can never live in New York. I just, I can't do it. You mentioned snow and it being cold. And then I'm just like, nah, I'm out. Um, anything below 40 degrees is when I start having like issues. And y'all yeah, talk about to snow. Upstate and it was like, mm-hmm. upstate is like living in the shining. I know we were talking about that. Just to bring it back to Stanley Kubrick. It's pretty wild. Uh, yeah, no, can't do it, won't do it. But I am so excited to see you again. I'm so happy that you agreed to come on my my little show and talk with me. Um, this film that we are talking about is definitely something that I feel like it's been on my watch list, but it's just one of those movies where it's like, I guess I'll get to it, but then I never really get to it because I don't know if it's I don't want to get to it or it's just a time thing. I don't know. But um, it's very different for me, I will say. Um, I have never seen um, 2001 A Space Odyssey before. Um, and I'm just trying to think about my history and relationship, not only with this film, but with Stanley Kubrick. And we were talking about this earlier, but I have only seen two of his films before, um, which is The Shining, which it completely went over my head that that was even a Stanley Kubrick movie. And I feel so... <laughs> like dumb by it because I have the DVD here and yeah I didn't even realize that but um I've seen that movie and I've seen Eyes Wide Shut which I think was his last movie because he did pass in 99 and that is when the film came out um so other than that I really just I don't have any history with him outside of him being like one of those directors that a lot of film bros are like oh you've never seen Stanley Kubrick's movies like it's the best thing and you know I'm I'm not that kind of cinephile, um, but yeah. So what, what is your relationship? I guess not only with like Stanley Kubrick, but with like sci-fi in general. So with Stanley Kubrick, um, I just feel like his movies are a bit weird. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's never really been my cup of tea. Um, I have seen all of the shining. I've seen the shining, uh, funny story. I never could watch the shining. Like I'm not joking. Like for like six years, really? I would watch like <laughs> literally one hour. And then the scene where they go into the hotel room and it's like the weird dog and stuff I'd always mm. fall asleep there and then I wake up and he's killing people and I'm just like okay but I did read the book mm-hmm. <laughs> um and then I also have seen some of Clockwork Orange that's also a really like zany one too mm-hmm. I've seen a little bit of Eyes Wide Shut and now I've seen all of 2001 A Space Odyssey um but as for my relationship with sci-fi Um, I feel like I didn't really have a choice. Um, My mom has always been like a very big fan of Mm sci-fi since we were kids. Like I remember just falling asleep to Star Trek because Mm -hmm. I I don't really know what happens in it, but like as a child, it just always (laughs) put me to sleep. It's something that I've grown with. It's a thing that puts me to sleep now. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom used to watch like just a lot of alien stuff. She was a big fan of like the X-Files and, you know, Mm -hmm. so really it's just something that has been like kind of passed on like I remember as a kid like we'd all get together like me and all my siblings and my mom and we'd be watching like Godzilla and the Terminator like that's cool your mom sounds so cool like (laughs) she's okay (laughs) my mom was definitely more on the horror wave of things Mm -hmm. um so that's how I kind of got introduced to a lot of horror movies but she yeah oddly enough I don't think she was really a big fan of of sci-fi 
So I, I don't think my cool. mom realized she was a big fan. Like it was mm-hmm. just like one day I was thinking about it, like all the stuff that we used to watch when we were kids. And I mentioned it to her and she was like, yeah, I guess I have always liked space. Like one of the shows that mm-hmm. she always talks about from when she was a kid was like Lost in Space, which is funny because they made like a remake of it um, on Netflix. It's pretty good. I watched season oh, okay. one. And it actually kind of reminded me of this. I feel like that, that was might've been a, I don't maybe I'll look up the years, but that might've been a spinoff. Mm-hmm. Of oh, a space okay, gotcha. Odyssey, I feel like um because I feel like this probably opened the way for a, a lot of sci-fi movies you know like mm-hmm. if you just watch it you can definitely see other spaceship things um in yeah. it like it reminded me a lot of Prometheus I have not seen it but I've seen like bits and pieces of it and like stills and stuff from it but I haven't seen it in its entirety Honestly, I would just say it's okay. Um, there's this own genre of film that you really do get from 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I would say is just weird shit happening on a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Pretty <laughs> That's much. It. Pretty much. And, and I always like to categorize these movies as like white men in space, uh, just Whitey's doing whatever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like just doing things um, that I don't really care for I guess for me in a sense um and I was just thinking about this earlier with the whole conversation that's going on now with like Jeff Bezos and whoever this other billionaire guy is like trying to fight yeah trying to like get to space before the other does and I realized then that I like space in theory but if you I don't know if there was just some random competition going on where somebody was picked to go with NASA to space or whatever and I got picked I would politely decline because <laughs> I just don't think being in space in real life is all that it's like cut out to be um I know that the training is very rigorous. I know that mentally mm-hmm. it is also very rigorous and it just does not seem like a fun time. <laughs> like it'd be cool to see, you know, the the earth from space and see the moon and whatever, but it's like, I can see the moon where I'm from and she looks nice from here. <laughs> I don't feel like I need to get any closer. I can see stars, even though 75% of them are already dead. I just, just turn off you know, a few lights. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fine. Like I don't need to like actually go up there and see it and I just think that these space races are quite um a uh manhood measuring contest and it just doesn't benefit anybody whatsoever yeah I mean I definitely agree I mean I understand that there's a fascination with space but I just think Mm -hmm. there's so much going on on earth so maybe figure that out on here first like you're putting billions of dollars to get a spaceship to like jupiter or wherever i'm saying jupiter because that's the movie Mm -hmm. but wherever they're going um (laughs) i'm not gonna pretend like i've been following along in the news because i really don't care Mm -hmm. um because when i was watching this movie i was thinking about it and i was like wow isn't it wild how like our asses would be the ones clearly left on earth because there was no black people on that ship nope nope not one one. (laughs) not two not three not even on the like the space station I was looking and you know that's I feel like the one thing that I tend to look for the most now in films um, especially films from back in the day um just like where are the black people where 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 are they like yeah I think sorry (laughs) no you're fine like they just don't exist yeah. And I think really like just being alive, like right now, like how you're watching TV, you mm-hmm. kind of just take for granted the amount of like 
non-white people not even just black people but just like not white people period in mm-hmm. something you know what I mean like even if you're watching something and maybe a black person isn't the main character they did at least be in the background but there was like right. nobody None. and again that makes me question Stanley Kubrick sir what's what's going on like I I really wish <laughs> I don't know I was digging for an interview to see if I could try and, and find something he might have said about race relations or whatever but mm-hmm. he was not a very big person on interviews so that was kind of like pulling teeth but um yeah it just I don't know it just makes me all think about space and I think the same thing for like the sea like you know I like the sea in theory am I gonna go in past my knees absolutely not because there's nothing down there for me um whatever is down there is down there for a reason and I don't even think we've explored like five or ten percent of it so I just think let's just leave the 90 percent of it alone um I say the same thing about space like and I guess I think maybe another reason why I didn't particularly care for this movie so much was because Stanley really wanted to um make it extremely realistic and given for the time that it was released back in the 60s you had you were kind of coming off of the the Pulp Fiction era of sci-fi. So Mm -hmm. it was a lot of, oh, you have this beast from outer space. Oh, the beast comes down to earth. The tax people might snatch up a very nice, pretty white lady. Now we have to attack it to save her and to save the earth. But he really wanted to like divest from that. And I appreciate him and applaud him for wanting to make something a bit more modern, I guess I should say. but I just always liked the random ass creature coming from space, <laughs> coming down to earth to like wreak havoc for whatever reason. Um, and I think that's like my beef with sci-fi now is that you can clearly see that there is a huge influence from a space odyssey on all of the other sci-fi films that have come out so far. Um, and they're just very serious and some of them are good, but then some of them I'm just like, I'm not having a good time. And it makes me think again, in theory, if I was to go to space, I don't think I would be having a good time. So like, I don't know, I guess I just kind of want to ask the question to him more so is like, who are you making this film for? Because I know that's a thing where a lot of people ask writers and directors like, okay, you're writing this movie, you're directing this movie, but like, who is your target audience? Um, And I do just kind of want to break down the whole plot of this story for those of you who are (laughs) listening and you may not have seen the movie. I will save you the time. Um, So it's pretty much broken up into three sections. So you have the first section, which me and Heaven were laughing about, um, which is called the, the Dawn of Man. And basically that's like a 15 to 20 minute Nat Geo documentary about the evolution (laughs) of humans uh basically um you just have a group of apes who are you know just living their lives the way that they live their lives um they're fending for themselves they're trying to eat you know claim territory and then one day magically this big old monolith type thing or entity shows up um and they are very hesitant to approach it at first but when they realize that it doesn't seem to, you know, come off as a threat. It's not moving. It's not doing anything. They embrace it. 
And that leads to one of the apes um, looking at a pile of bones. He picks up one in particular and it just sort of dawns on him, pun intended, that um, he can use that as a weapon and he can use that like, as a tool. So you see after that, um, they start killing animals. So they become, was it omnivores instead of herbivores? Um, no, carnivores. Carnivores. Thank you. See? science i mean we don't we don't mix but yeah they you forgot they start... about the oh sorry you forgot about the monkey like beating the bones for like three minutes yeah <laughs> i mean the whole i was so i was like am i watching the right movie i'm like i'm pretty sure i am watching the right movie because the title card said 2001 a space odyssey but i don't understand what's going on and then i was like oh okay that makes sense like evolution i get it i get it but do i think we needed that 15 to 20 minute thing like I yeah we I didn't think we need that that was far too long you know what I find so interesting when watching like older movies I always think about like because I do screenwrite too and I always think about like my mentor like sending something to my mentor and how much they would rip out like if I sent them something like that and that whole like 15 minute time period they would have been like what is this for exactly exactly I feel like mm, he could have gotten away with that because he already had somewhat of a reputation. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like for someone in this day and age, and I do, and I have noticed that there is a sort of trend where a lot of people are trying to get away from um, very lengthy productions. So this movie was like two and a half hours long. I feel like the only person at this point that can make a two and a half, three hour movie is Martin Scorsese. And we would not say anything to him about it because he's Martin Scorsese and he can do that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just feel like now, I think especially with television as well, like we've seen a sort of decline in episodes. So like before you were getting, like I just started watching the F- X-Files and I was like, okay, I need to figure out like how many seasons there are, how many episodes. And I think season one had like 24 episodes. I'm like 24 episodes, that's like far <laughs> too many episodes. But then when you think about it, it's like, you get a television show now and the most that it'll go maybe is 10 episodes maybe, maybe 12 if you're lucky sometimes maybe six 12. yeah a lot of times six and a lot of times it's it's either eight and normally if it's an eight long um eight episode long season it's normally about 45 to an hour mm-hmm. but if it's anything shorter than that like yeah it's just it's gotten really really short I noticed and I think that's probably what my issue was when watching this first sequence it's like okay do we really need to have all this is this really adding to the story is this propelling like who is our main character we don't know is this group of apes like are we going to watch them transform into humans like what is what is going on um yeah that's that's also something oh no 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 go ahead yeah I say I think that's also something I found really interesting was that there wasn't actually a main character Mm mm-hmm you know, uh, they, they, they switch who the character, who you might want to pay attention to, like, I think maybe four or five times throughout the entire movie. Yep. So you like really have to pay attention. Or you're going to be a bit confused. Yeah, there was no, um, and that's something that I read about too. Um, Stanley Kubrick, he was cutting stuff from this film up until like the day of the premiere. He was constantly cutting stuff. Um, and a lot of what was being cut oh, was- Kanye. Yeah, (laughs) a lot of what was being cut was dialogue. And I know that a lot of the things that they did cut from the script, they actually did put in the novel because um, the Arthurs or the 
screenplay was written by Stanley and a short story author by Stanley. Oh, they're both named Stanley. I didn't realize that. Stanley Kubrick <laughs> and Stanley C. Clark um, mm-hmm. were the attributed screenwriters of this film. And they actually like co-wrote a novel as well. So a lot of things that weren't put into the movie were actually put into the novel. But yeah, he was just cutting back on um, dialogue. And one of the things someone mentioned is that the only person or the only character that seemed to have some sort of human emotion or spoke like an actual human was Hal, which is the computer system. And you kind of notice that like all of the other human characters, they kind of spoke to each other in a really weird, choppy, short kind of way where it was really hard to establish relationships between each other. Like when the the guy, I don't remember his name, was talking to his daughter and asking her what she wanted for her birthday, which one fact. Dr. Floyd Haywood. Yeah. Um, the girl, the little girl that's playing his daughter is actually Stanley Kubrick's daughter, which I thought was really Aww. cute. Um, but yeah, you just, it just didn't feel like a loving relationship. I don't know. Or maybe it was just the way that the guy was talking or the way he talks in particular. It just felt kind of dry. See, I, I had like a, a different takeaway from that. I did feel like he was a bit removed, but again, this is me like, I guess, projecting background story <laughs> into the characters. And I was like, well, he's probably a very busy doctor. I mean, obviously he's going to take care of this problem. I don't remember the name of the planet, but it's a planet that has, um, people are assuming that they're never given confirmation, neither are we as the audience that they have been taken over by a pandemic or epidemic Mm -hmm. or something like that. I was like, wow, we really cannot escape that word nowadays. Um, But I was just assuming, you know, he's busy. He's out traveling. He's their Dr. Fauci. You know, he got Mm -hmm. things going on. (laughs) And unfortunately, you know, he had to miss his daughter's birthday. I mean, he didn't even ask her what she wanted, but I was like, maybe he's just a bad dad. (laughs) Yeah. It just, I don't know. That whole thing, it felt weird. But one thing I did notice, Mm -hmm. and I was watching a bunch of like video essays about it, is that the subject of birth was brought up a lot. So you had him bringing up this birthday. And then I think in the next scene, you had, um, I don't remember, was it David? David, I think David or Frank. Um, One of them was having a birthday and he was like having a um, conversation. I think it was Dave. Yeah, I had a conversation with his parents about his birthday. And then when Hal was being like turned off he mentioned his birthday and then it was just kind of like a thing a cycle mm-hmm. of a birth which I realize is probably the bigger theme of the movie um just how we evolve and how we sort of are birthed into these other types of beings and things of that nature I don't know it's very no I definitely see that and not to take it back for a second but I'm also wondering, like, I mean, I wish they could have been one or two scenes. Like, I know it's called a space odyssey, not an Earth odyssey. Mm-hmm. But I would love to know what the politics on planet Earth was like, because, like, that movie was made maybe 40 years in advance. So I would love to see what they thought, how we would have progressed as a mm. people or, you know, like, what happened to all the Black people? <laughs> Something. Uh, right. But, like, what was going on on Earth at the same time is what I would have been interested in, especially if, you know, so many people were fleeing it. Mm-hmm. And, um... I think that was one thing that I was thinking about as well was just like, yeah, what, not so much is what was going on on earth, but I was always curious to know what exactly people in like the 1800s, late 1800s, early 1900s always thought about earth in the future, because I guess we're technically living in their future. Mm -hmm. Um, And everything that I have read from those times periods, it seemed very fantastical. 
um, flying cars. Like it just, I don't know. It just seemed very, very, very advanced. And then when you get to the future now, it's actually very, very depressing. Um, We don't even know how to keep the ocean (laughs) in the ocean. (laughs) Right. We're currently setting the ocean on fire. Like that's a thing that you Mm -hmm. can do. Um, But it's just always... And I, I know I looked at a bunch of letterbox reviews and a lot of people were like, imagine seeing this movie in the 60s. Like how mind blowing would that have been for them? Because even now it still feels very realistic. Maybe, maybe there are some sort of fantastical elements to it, but I don't know. That's just always something to think about. Like if I could speak to someone from that time period and just be like, okay, this is the future now. Like, obviously you didn't think that this is how it was going to be, but I just, I don't know. I just really want to know the thought process of someone um, back then who could see it now. Like I would love to know Stanley Kubrick's opinions on, well, maybe not so much, but just out of curiosity, (laughs) like what his thought process would be about the future now um, if he had lived to see it. I was thinking that too while I was watching, but I think in a little bit of a different way. Like I was thinking like what they got right and what they got wrong, right? Mm. I feel like in those those movies, I feel like any movie that talks about the 2000s, I don't know why they're always like, we're just going to stop eating. We're only going to drink things. Yeah, I know that's um, And I don't know. It, I, I felt it very interesting that this movie spent so much time on people eating. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that was about. But um, <laughs> yeah, and then I also thought about like how they were still showing pictures and I'm just like, why would we have like physical pictures if they have like, they're looking at stuff on tablets, you know, in the mm-hmm. movie. So why wouldn't they put it on the tablet? But I'm like, you know, maybe he couldn't think so far ahead to put one and two together because for us, that would be like, you know, something basic. Yeah, that's true. And I, and one thing that I did see in one of those video essays is someone talked about how we were still infants like it's a whole thing of like infancy how we're still babies and how we're still evolving um even though we've evolved technologically like really well but we were still babies in that technology so like I know one person mentioned that um that scene where the lady was like walking up trying to deliver food Um, I love that scene yeah it is it's actually really really cool I was like how does she not fall like I really want to know about that um But they mentioned how, you know, even though you're sitting literally in the space station, you're still having to like drink your food and you still have to learn how to be potty trained in space. And when she was walking, like um, in the opening scene, not so much as opening scene, but the scene where we do get introduced to the humans and this lady has on these like grip shoes that keeps her to the ground. They mentioned how it looks like she's learning to walk for the first time. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, all right, Stanley might have made a point there. Um, <laughs> I agree, you know, that we've advanced, but I don't think we've advanced that much in terms of like humans um, doing things, if that makes any sense, what I'm trying to say. No, say more. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it just, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, we're still babies. Like we're still... Mm-hmm. I don't want to say apes, but we're still, I guess we're just still evolving. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting how, I guess it did also make me think about, I mean, your explanation, how when you're a kid, you know, you think like the world is like, you know, 
you're just there doing its thing. And when mm-hmm. you get older, you know, you'll be doing it too. But it's, it's weird how when you get older, you realize nobody actually knows what's going on. And I think, you know, now that you said that, I think Stanley also hit that because, you know, you would think watching this movie, I guess, especially in the 60s with all that updated technology, they would know what's going on. But at the end of the day, like, there was still a lot of big problems that they didn't even know how to solve. Right. That's, like, yeah. all they did was unplug the screen and <laughs> see if that worked. Did you try unplugging it and plugging it back in? Um, well, you don't want to plug that back in. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, 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 absolutely not. Um, so that was, like, the first... I guess half of the movie and then the second section of the film is called the Jupiter mission which is um when we get introduced to the human characters and we get introduced to that doctor in particular and his whole mission was to go to this planet which in the conversation he was having with other scientists that were on board um they were like okay well we heard that there's this like epidemic going on there's this pandemic like, is that true? And he's like, well, it's not, you know, I'm not at liberty to discuss this, which kind of further adds on to like, okay, yeah, maybe there is a pandemic going on. Um, but truthfully, there was no pandemic. It was just kind of like a cover story because when they got to this planet, they, I think it was like the moon. Was it the moon? I think it was the moon. Yeah, they were the moon. They were going to the moon and they discovered um, a monolith was buried so they uncovered it and that was like the cover story for that like they didn't want anyone to know what they had found I guess um and when they reach the monolith you know they go and you know take pictures and I think one of them touched it or when the sun hit the monolith it sent off this like really loud um noise and it was like transmitting a signal to Jupiter which is where the third monolith is and then from there we switch protagonist now um we're more focused on this crew of five who are now journeying to jupiter to figure out where this signal is being beamed to and to see if they could find that third monolith and um three of the five are sleep they're in hibernation um so that they could preserve just like all of their supplies on the spaceship um until they actually reach jupiter so you have two doctors that are still up which is Frank and David. Um, and they're just, you know, living life, exercising, eating, you know, drawing stuff, I guess, whatever it is you do on spaceships. I don't know. <laughs> um, and that is when we get introduced to Hal. And I think personally, Hal is probably the most human thing about this movie. Um, and I honestly, going into this, I didn't know anything about it. I just knew from the screenshots and the little scenes that I saw, it was all about how, and I thought the movie was about, um, like the space crew growing somewhere and how was like the computer system of the entire ship. Something happened. Hal is now turning on the humans and they have to figure out a way to like disconnect him before he could kill everyone but imagine my surprise when again it's like 15 minutes of apes beating up each other and I'm like see I had never I mean I I, I heard of the movie mm-hmm. did I have a clue what it was about no I just know that mm-hmm. they were in space doing stuff so I I didn't know what I thought it was going to be about how very much surprised me really? I thought we were just going to be following Dr. Haywood on his mission to I don't even remember the name of the planet but it was something kind of weird but mm-hmm. I thought we were going to follow him on his mission there. I mean, we want to learn, like, see more about the epidemic. I was a little bit more interested in that than in how, but. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, so that's what I thought the movie was going to be about. So I was really shocked when I'm like, what is all this metaphorical stuff that they are trying to spew? Because I'm just interested in this whole idea of like technology turning on the people that made it. Um, and I thought how was very menacing. And um, what I learned is that Stanley Kubrick was actually really um, inspired by this movie called Universe. And the narrator who narrated Universe was actually the same guy who narrated um, Pal in the film. And I'm like, his voice is very creepy. And I didn't like it, it was very unsettling. Um, but I really liked Hal's character. I, I really did. And I just remember when I was watching it, thinking that um, Hal was up to no good from the start. And especially <laughs> when he mentioned, he was like, oh, we have a problem with this satellite. I think something's wrong. Like you guys should go check it out. And if there's nothing wrong, I think we should just let it fail. And then from there we can see like what the problem is. So they get the, the little part that's supposed to be broken. They bring it back and they start fixing it and they notice that there's nothing wrong with it. And I'm like, from that moment, I was like, yep, Hal knew what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he was like, well, I can only chop this up to being human error. And mm -hmm. so they're like, the two doctors are like, mm -mm, I don't, I don't believe that. And I just thought it was a bit of a flaw on their part to think that there was a place where they could get away from Hal, so to speak, because they went into this little chamber um, and they were talking and then trying to make sure that like, Hal wasn't listening. They were like, oh, Hal, can you do this? And Hal never responded. But from what I read, Hal actually could hear them or not so much as hear them, but- He was reading their lips. That's what he yeah. told them. Like when he, when he pressed them for what they've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, um, I think he understood them asking him to do a command. He just ignored it. And then when they were, you know, kind of let their guards down, like, okay, he can't hear us. We're going to talk about, you know, how to disarm him. That's when he started reading lips and he was like, oh, so this is what y'all were going to do. Okay. All right. We'll fix that. We'll fix that. And, you know, they try and play it off and be slick, but I'm just like, no, you can't be slick around how he's, he's going to figure that out. <laughs> For me, the, the moment when I would have been like, hmm. <laughs> was when Hal was like do y'all really want to go to Jupiter though like I feel like something bad is gonna happen I would have been like what bad is gonna happen what yeah. do you know that I don't yeah I thought that was a bit weird too when he was like can I ask you a personal question I'm like what kind of personal question do you want to ask me and I thought he was gonna ask about his feelings about his family or something when same, he tells me, <laughs> same. Do you, are you sure you want to do this I would have been like no not now <laughs> oh, this feels like a threat <laughs> right like dude we're like halfway there you're telling me something's wrong and I just I wonder I don't know I wonder if they ever would have made it to Jupiter like what would have happened if they just ignored Hal and they just like kept um kept going on I wonder mm, I wonder what would have happened I don't know okay but all I, know, I kind of like blanked out what were they going to Jupiter for so they were trying to figure out like the other protagonist um the doctor is a Hayworth um Haywood Haywood he was going I want to say he was going to the moon or some type of moon like planet mm -hmm. because they had found another monolith that was buried under the planet's surface and so their cover story for that was just telling people that there was a, a pandemic or an epidemic right. and so when they got there they found the monolith they were taking a picture with it the sunlight 
hit the monolith and the monolith started emitting this like really loud signal type noise. Right. But it was transpiring to Jupiter. And so this cruise mission was to go to Jupiter and try and figure out like what exactly the signal was or where it was going. Can I just say, if that was the mission, they were really late. This happened. Okay. So when they mm-hmm. show like the next card from when the, the, the monolith flashes or whatever that was. Yeah. It's an 18 month transition yeah, period. So it's mm-hmm. just like, damn, the, the <laughs> signal might've been picked up. They might've did what they had to do already. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It, Could you I imagine if you called me asking for a favor and I responded 18 months later? <laughs> that re- I feel like that reminds me of that tweet. Was it Tyra Banks or Janet Jackson or someone? I don't remember. They like responded to like a tweet or something like two years later. It was like, <laughs> hey girl, how are you? And I'm like, two years, really? How did you even find that message? <laughs> exactly. If you weren't looking for it, it's just, yeah, they, they were, oh, that's just a tad bit too late. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought Hal's character was very interesting. And when he unhooked the oxygen um mm-hmm. little thing from the guy's suit i was like so he's just straight up killing people now okay all right he caught several bodies and he never mm. even told us what he wanted no and i guess it's just a thing of him being quote-unquote scared of being what they like find in jupiter maybe or just being disconnected in general i don't really know that I feel like was never really made clear either. Um, I, yeah, I just think that he was just mainly afraid of them, afraid of admitting that he made a mistake because when they did mention like, okay, we took this part out, there's nothing wrong with it. And we had the, they had two howls. So they had one on the ship and then they had one on earth. And when they had the one on earth tested too, that's when they realized that this particular how actually did make a mistake. And I guess instead of owning up to his mistake, um he got very defensive and was scared that they were going to disconnect him which again I feel like is another very human like he's not alone I hate admitting mistakes too yeah (laughs) it's a it's a very human like trait and instead of being like okay you know I was designed to be this like high processing computer um which then again I'm like okay he was designed by humans though so if he did make somewhat of an error I feel like wouldn't that reflect on the humans that made him so maybe his assumption of being like "Hmm, well I didn't make a mistake I'm gonna say it was a human error that made that mistake like was he really wrong in that assumption I don't think so but I also think what we were witnessing was his existential crisis True. You know, because he is a piece of artificial intelligence. And I think he was just becoming too aware. I mean, like you said, he's probably the only character that we learned anything about. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to, He, I mean, in so, so many words, if he didn't say it, we could at least hear it in his voice. You know, we know when he was concerned, when he was scared, when he was getting fed up, you know. <laughs> and yeah. I feel like the other characters, like you said earlier, were much more robotic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, he's the only one I was rooting for. And I understand one, one, literally just one thing happening and throwing your whole perspective of the world out. And I mean, looking at this, like how it's just like, okay, if I can be wrong about this, what else do I not know? Or am I supposed to learn? Or, you know, how else can I mess things up? Yeah. And I think it's another thing too, of like, what is it? What is something that they're not telling me? Um, which I think was definitely heightened when the two doctors went to go talk in secrecy and now he's like 
it's like a thing of paranoia as well. Um, and now I'm thinking like, was how really the, you know, the, the antagonist and all of this? I would say no. <laughs> I don't think he I was mean, the villain. <laughs> but yeah, I think if you're able to look at things from different perspectives, mm-hmm. I think, especially because, you know, we both write, if you're able to think of it about what the character was feeling, like you said, it's just like, okay, I just messed up. Y'all know I mess. Mm-hmm. It's like being scared you're about to get fired over something right, silly. You know what right. I mean? Like he's just like I messed up. You know I messed up. If if my only use for you, you made me specifically to know things, to fix things, to do things, and mm-hmm. I'm not able to do that. What does that mean for me? Right. And I think in him questioning that, then it turned into okay, I need to fix this, and the only way that I can fix this is literally just by killing everyone. So <laughs> and then um, telling everyone it was human error. <laughs> You know, because y'all are planning to um, pull the plug and I can't have that. I, I don't want that. So he, Hal decides to kill one of the doctors um, when he goes to put back the piece of equipment in the satellite. So he unattaches his oxygen mask. And so the guy essentially, I guess, just runs out of air. He's floating in space now. Um David or Dave, he is now going out to save his partner and he does, but Hal refuses to let him back inside the space station, which is where you get that very um, iconic scene where Dave is like, Hal, I need you to open the doors. And Hal is like, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. And I'm like, imagine your computer telling you that. I. Imagine your car telling you that because, you know, um, I feel like our cars are probably the closest thing that we'll ever get to spaceships right now in this period. And they're very in control. I mean, depending on how much money spent, especially if you have like a Tesla or something. Mm. Imagine it's just like, Mm. I'm not going to stop driving. Ooh, I think about, I've thought about that a little bit too, because I watched Christine for the first time, um, like last month or so. And it's one of my mom's, like more of her favorite um, Stephen King stories where basically it's not so much as like technology, so to speak, but basically this guy's spirit like inhibits his car. And so it's controlling the car, but I'm like, what happens if technology like that like the ones that we have in cars like start controlling the cars like that that would be really scary that yeah that would be really scary (laughs) just thinking about it I'm like yeah sorry for giving you that horror movie moment (laughs) I was like you know I don't really think I want to own like a smart car and I think that's why a lot of people are starting to divest away from a lot of these smart gadgets that people have in their homes and it just reminds you of that Disney movie um smart house smart house yeah, see, Stanley Cooper was on to <laughs> something. He was on to something with this. No, movie. But, but yeah, a lot of jo- a lot of. I mean, if after watching that movie, like you could definitely trace back a lot of like films that are mm-hmm. clearly, clearly from this train of thought. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? I'm just gonna jump on and say I think Hal was again the most human thing about this movie, and I don't think he was truly the antagonist I think okay honestly yeah. I feel like if they would have had like a legitimate conversation with Hal mm. like a hey and, and maybe this is also from like you know I mean essentially they're co-workers and maybe this True. is just because I mean now how we think about work it's a lot different than then you know what I mean mm-hmm. um I feel like it was a lot more high pressure then I feel like now we're kind of you know if you messed up your manager whoever might be like hey what's going on right. what happened and I feel like if they would have asked Hal that he might have just been like I really don't know 
and that would have been the end of the movie <laughs> and even then like yeah he might have just been like and that just i think poses another whole like essential question of like okay i literally just don't know what i'm doing um and then them having like a genuine conversation I guess of just about like the programs of how, like I said, humans made how. So mm -hmm. if there was some sort of era with him, which there clearly was with this particular one, because like I said, there were two different hows, one on earth and then this one on the ship. So it's like, we need to specifically figure out what went wrong with this one. Um, and I think maybe that might've been a thing too. Oh my God. <laughs> See, now I understand like existential crisis because I'm like, if you're doing the same job as someone else and you know, y'all were both trained the right way, but you're the one that's messing up. It's like, okay, what specifically about me is wrong that I can't do this because it seems like everyone else is able to get through the job with no problems and yeah and then it just spirals so you know what I see yeah. where he's coming from and I mean and definitely and before we had this conversation like I thought that that Hal was just nefarious you know what I mean mm. I thought that he was tricking them by saying because something was messed up outside but maybe it was legitimately just a mistake like maybe yeah. he really thought something was messed up and then they were like well we gotta kill you now like <laughs> <laughs> that's such and and on their on their behalf that's such a dramatic leap you know what true. i mean to take true because they and again i think it was just pressured by the other how didn't have any issues yeah and but. if i'm not mistaken just I, I could have imagined this, but let me just make sure this is correct. They did have like a, a interview on the news, right? With the how, like showing him yes. to like the public. So that might've also been something that just stressed him out. Yeah, they did interview Hal about the pressures of the um, the mission and what he thought of the, if, if he thought that the mission was going to go well and all the other stuff. And I was really shocked to hear how he answered. Cause I'm like, this doesn't feel like, a machine answering it really does feel like a person is answering this interview and I think that yeah that just added to it tenfold but yeah R.I.P. Hal um <laughs> M and F in the chat um, <laughs> um yeah so basically after you get that bit of the story you move into the third section of the film which is called Jupiter and Beyond the Infinite and that is when um Dave he I think he finds he finds them the other monolith or something yeah, happens he does and it's in like this weird room yeah and so he gets like transported to this extremely weird room and he watches himself basically die and then he's reborn as another very iconic shot of the film where it's like a it's called a star baby and a lot of people say that oh if you look at it really closely he's in the shape of a sperm and he's headed to earth and you know after that that's the end of the movie it's it's very interpretive it's left up to what you think happens um it's another one of those open-ended things and Stanley Kubrick hated when people asked him what the ending was supposed to mean he was just like I feel like if people are able to provide a definite comment of what they think the ending is, and he's like, then I didn't do my job, right? He's like, I just kind of wanted it to be very, yeah, just very interpretive. Um, just and, a vibe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's literally just a vibe. It's like, no plot, know, just vibes. Yeah, no, <laughs> no thought had empty. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's, I don't know what to say about the end of this movie. Um, it was definitely weird vibes. 
Yeah, I was like, okay, the guy's a baby now, but like, did he travel? And in the, the baby future? also looked like a spaceship. Did it like a spaceship to you? It did. Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, is he gonna travel to Earth now? Like, is Earth in the future? Is this like another monolith? What is going on? And again, even the same universe. Who knows? <laughs> and it's just, I guess Stanley Kubrick is doing his job when he says that like I want the ending to evoke more questions um because I definitely had a lot of questions I was like okay what the heck did I just watch um yeah I don't know how did you feel about the movie as a whole though um I think it was very a very beautiful movie I think that Mm. you know I like I was watching it I was like this is cool because the special effects I mean do they like something we do now no but like do they look at something you might do in your student film? Yes. And even mm-hmm. though that does sound like they're bad, I mean, that's really good if like something from back then could even look like it has a place even now. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, it was a little bit creepy to me because uh, like I texted you earlier, I don't like human beings in <laughs> monkey suits. I don't know why it really just like does not does do good things to my spirit. I feel out of place. It, it's it very unsettling. Me. Yeah, it's very unsettling. It's scary. But um, I think outside of that, I think it was just, and I, like I said, I am a no, like empty head, no thoughts type of person. <laughs> so I was just watching it like, wow, stuff is just happening. True. I'm just watching somebody walk for 10 minutes. That's cool. Um, I thought it was a cool movie, like probably like <laughs> if you're high. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the funny thing about it. So first off, um, what I learned is that the people that were in the ape costumes, because I'm like, there's no way that these are like actual apes, right? When I was watching, I'm like, they don't, they're not. You can see their eyes. That's why I don't like, yeah, I don't like seeing the, the skin behind like, the eyes. And that's when I realized that, okay, I'm like, these are actual people in ape costumes. And that is not okay to me for whatever reason. But um, <laughs> it was actually a mime troupe. Um, I think Stanley spoke with the leader of one of these troops and the leader played the like I guess the protagonist in the first of it that one leader of the eight pack and then his mime troop was all of the other apes um I mean they did what they had to do did I can want I just to say that the concept of somebody speaking to the leader of the mime troop is so funny to me <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very interesting to learn but I was like you know that that makes sense it makes sense at the end of the day it makes sense um but I thought the film looked very good as well and I think that is the one thing that a lot of people like about this movie I'm not gonna sit here and be like y'all are lying because if y'all really thought that this was like a groundbreaking amazing movie y'all are just saying that because you like the way that it looked and I noticed from a lot of the letterbox reviews not many of them were about like the theme of the movie it was literally just like oh this movie looks awesome and during the release of it um I know someone mentioned that about 250 people walked out of one premiere because they were like what is this like what am I watching I feel like I'm wasting time um and And now that I think about it sorry mm-hmm. I've never heard somebody talk about the plot of this movie in my life like now that I'm thinking about it it's kind of oh. like Avatar you know what I mean like nobody talks about the plot everybody talks about the look there's like oh you know great gowns beautiful gowns <laughs> um yeah I can't give you more than that but um it wasn't until there was there was one guy in particular at this one premiere who 
was smoking some weed and (laughs) he was just tripping out of his mind and he pointed to the screen at one point he was like oh my god like this is god and a lot of people started showing up to the theaters you know baked out of their mind to watch this movie and they were just like it was such an experience and that is what I saw a lot of on Letterboxd and on other reviews of people being like is that what we should have (laughs) did probably probably I'm thinking I'm like man maybe I need to watch this movie again and then you know just take a little edible and see what happens maybe I'll like it more maybe we record the episode right maybe I'll actually get the message that he was trying to give us because being sober I'm just like what is this Um, I mean I could tell it was something about birth because mm -hmm. a lot a lot of it like I mean there weren't any literal births in the movie but a lot of the scenes I don't know gave me birthy vibes like there were a lot of times where it was just darkness and then a light would shine through a small hole or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So I could definitely see that that's what he wanted us to get from it. What about it? I don't know what he was saying. True. Yeah. But I heard the words. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's I, all that matters. <laughs> I think that's the the gist of it. Um, when he talked about this movie, he just mentioned that like he really wanted to make a movie about man's relationship to the universe. And I think a lot of that is birth. Like, I think a lot of the universe is birth um, because things, um, I guess, with, I guess in the sense of like stars, you know, stars are born technically. Yeah. I don't really know. So like stars are born and then, you know, they have their little moment and then they die. And I think maybe, oh, maybe it makes sense okay maybe I'm actually understanding what he's trying to say <laughs> hold on share it share it with the audience um, yeah just about birth and like how we are still I feel like now I feel like I sound like I'm high I'm not but <laughs> it's just you know about humans evolving and a lot of what evolution is is like the birth the life and the death of something um I don't know. Maybe that's what he was trying to say. Okay. All right. You know what? I'm, I'm all for it. Stanley Kubrick. Hold on. I'm all, uh, and another thing that I read about this film is that Kubrick actually did want to use like an actual humanoid person to depict aliens or extraterrestrials. And he spoke with someone about it. And first of all, let me say Stanley Kubrick was looking kind of rude um just in particular there was an instant where he hired someone to do like an original score for the movie and the guy went and did the whole thing um and it wasn't until the premiere when the composer realized that like none of his music was used like he he get paid though i want to say he did but (laughs) none of the yeah none of his music was used like kubrick decided like halfway through that he was gonna just scrap that and just use classical music for the for the scenes and I'm like you didn't think to call anybody and let them know yeah okay all right um sides isn't gonna work bro yeah (laughs) well you'll you'll figure it out at the premiere sure um and that's kind of what he did to this guy um his name is Sagan I don't remember his first name Patrick Sagan I don't remember his first name, but basically he consulted this Sagan guy about how to construct um, these alien life forms because he wanted it to be as realistic. And Sagan kind of told him, he was like, you know, I think it'll be a cheap thing to kind of use this humanoid um, aspect of it 
And so later Kubrick decided to settle on biological beings that morphed into immortal machine entities that then morphed into beings of energy and light and spirit and whatever. And Sagan watched the movie and he was really excited to see that like, oh, Kubrick, you know, he took my advice, he took out the humanoids, but it was later credited that uh, Kubrick was like, no, I just decided not to use it. Like this didn't have anything to do with this guy. Save some money. <laughs> it didn't have anything to do with this guy told me. I just, you know, later on realized I didn't like it. And I'm like, dang, Kubrick, he was kind of he could have just said nothing <laughs> right <laughs> he's kind of rude but I mean okay all right um and the script for this it's a pretty I guess a standard um journey of a script where you know you write things and you write it over and over and over and over and like I said anything that was in the script or in the movie basically that was taken out was put towards the novel um, and I know that he cut out a lot of stuff for this movie. Like I said, he was cutting stuff up until like the premiere day. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those like negatives and footage was put together in a, I think in his house or in like a warehouse or something that he had. And before he died, he stressed that all of it be burned and it was burned. Um, and that wasn't just for that film. That was for like all of his other films as well. All this stuff that he didn't use, he was like, just burn it. And they burned it. And I never want to be one of those people to where I feel like, and I don't know if it was a thing of like gatekeeping or if it was a thing of like, I'm a perfectionist. I think all this stuff is like my mistakes and I don't want anything to do with it, that type of burning. But Mm -hmm. I feel like that could have been very useful in a a way. And it kind of reminds me. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of when I went to... (laughs) randomly went to a Tyler Perry movie set um which set uh it's some movie that he's doing for Netflix a jazz man's blues I think it's gonna be called Mm -hmm. um apparently this is like his magnum opus this is the movie he's been wanting to make forever I'm like okay and really Um, because I thought Medea goes to jail is pretty good (laughs) right Mm, okay I was looking I was like dang where Medea she's not here um but in it's taking place in like the 20s I think so they kind of live the the family lived in these like shacks or whatever and I got to walk around like it was really cool like being on a movie set professional movie set like that um but one of the the guys whose land they were using he was like he really wanted to keep one at least one of those shacks on his land just as like a Mm -hmm. memory and yeah um he it was going to be a lot to try and haul those things back to Atlanta because that's what he wanted to do he was like okay after we're done filming I want you to uproot this and we're going to take it back to Atlanta because that's where his movie studio is and he's like we'll just put it on the lot for whatever um and he was like outside of that though I want everything else to be torn down he's like I don't want anyone else to benefit or prosper from my dream and I'm like why are you gatekeeping this kind of stuff? Like, I don't, I mean. Well, I mean, not even being controversial, just being fair. What else mm-hmm. do you expect from the dude that doesn't even want to pay his writers, you know? Well, well, yeah, that I get. But it just really baffled me because I'm like, okay, you know, you can't carry all this stuff with you. Why would you try and at least like tear it down? I, someone else could use it. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I just think that's just a waste of, 
Or I think people are just short-sighted, you know, because who knows? Like, sometimes there are people who, in their time period, uh, Mm -hmm. aren't appreciated. You never know. You know, in 30, 40 years, people might really be getting down with Medea. And they might have loved to see these things that people are just destroying and taking back. Yeah, and I just thought that I was... Yeah, I just... I don't know. I didn't think it was a good idea and I just didn't understand why on earth he would want to destroy something like that and then claim like I don't want people to, to proper off of my vision and my dream. I'm like, you act like this dream is so You know why. <laughs> yeah, I know why, but it's like you <laughs> act like this is so original when it's not. But Okay, I have a question for okay. you. Yes. <laughs> okay, so the movie literally takes place in three acts, but do you think it fit a three act structure well? no yeah I felt like it was very avant-garde yeah and that's what I was thinking to myself when I was watching some of these videos I think one reason why I didn't really mesh with the movie too much is because it did feel extremely experimental and I have watched a couple of experimental films but I still don't know how to process them I guess correctly like it reminded me of the film Burning um, that South Korean film that came out and I really liked it. But at the end of the movie, I was like, I don't understand anything that happened. I mean, it looked good. The character were really good. Um, I thought the plot leading up to the climax and the end of the film were really good because you just want to know, like, have you seen Burning? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not cultured. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I only watched it because Stephen Young was in it. And I'm like, I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm a fan. And it was an actual like Korean movie. I think it was all in Korean. There might've been mm-hmm. some pieces where that were in English, but it was nice seeing him be in that type of environment. Um, so that's the only reason I watched it, but it was one of those movies again at the end where I'm like, I don't understand anything that just happened up right. until this point. So um, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like maybe I don't have that lens or maybe yeah it might not be cultured enough I don't know I don't know what it is but it definitely felt like maybe four or five acts in this film instead of three because I was trying to figure out where the first act ended and then when we got into the second act I couldn't distinguish that no yeah I definitely agree I think that if it came out like now-ish it would be Mm -hmm. a great uh limited series true because I think we'd be able to have a lot more questions answered mm-hmm. than because I feel like watching the movie and mind you I knew nothing at all about this movie so you think I go in with a lot of questions but I actually came out with more <laughs> yeah I I did as well um it's just I don't know and then it's just a thing of like where where do you get these ideas from and yeah that's what I always think too I'm just like my brain just doesn't work that way mm-hmm. and I know um like I said, like if I was you, trying to show a birth, I'd probably just show a birth. Right. <laughs> That's I'm not trying to show this man watching himself die and then being birthed as a star headed for Earth. That's not. I'm not creative enough. <laughs> That's not me. That's not me. Um, and like I said, he wanted to make a movie to show man's relationship with the universe. And first off, I don't think I would ever want to make something like that and in terms of like me making sci-fi stuff it's definitely not going to be in that realm of being like super duper realistic because I don't think that it's fun and 
not so much as it's not fun. I mean, it can be done and it can be done well, but it's just, again, it's not my cup of tea. I don't, if I really wanted to know about NASA and space and spaceships, then I would just, I don't know, watch a movie that NASA's made or produced or something like that. Um, if I go to the movies, I'm going because I want to have fun and I kind of want to escape all of that. So I, yeah, it just- I mean, I feel you. If I was making a sci-fi, like mine would have more pulp than an orange. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it would be kooky. But I did read that um, a lot of people like really gave him props because he worked with like a lot of like specialists at NASA and stuff to make mm-hmm. sure that everything looked as realistic as possible. And so, I, yeah. That was I, interesting. Yeah, I applaud him for that. He was involved in like every aspect of this film. Um, and I was looking at people talk about the design and he was so involved in this movie that he literally picked out the fabric for the spacesuits, like to the, to the like tiniest detail. And even then, I don't feel like that's such a tiny detail, but he was heavily involved in everything from the set design to the music, to the script, to directing, sound, editing, like all of that. He might be the only person with more hours in their day than Beyonce, because that's a lot of work. Honestly, probably. I wonder how he did it. I don't know. I don't know. I've never really looked too much into the life of Stanley Kubrick, so I don't know what his like worth work ethics are. Um, but yeah, he seems like the type of guy who's into every and anything. I feel like the only thing that I've heard about his work ethics were like from The Shining, and it wasn't very good news yeah Mm. did he direct the shining Mm -hmm. why do i feel like i wanted to remember that but i just don't we just talked about this like an hour ago (laughs) i feel like i should remember these things but again the shining was something that people were talking about they're like oh it's such a good horror movie and it means this, that, and the third. And I only watched it because it was like, I want to be hip and I wanted to be in or like the cultural conversations that people were having. Um, I didn't pay any attention to like who was directing it, who wrote it, mm-hmm. who was starring in it outside of Jack Nichols, Jack Nicholson and um, Shelby. Her name is Shelby. I think her name Shelley. is Shelly Duvall. Shelly. Mm-hmm. I was there for her mainly. Um, mm-hmm. Dang, I feel like I wanted to remember that. But yeah. From what I heard from that movie, yeah, <laughs> I would not want yeah. to work with him. Nah, so, no, no. There, there you have it. Um, I don't know. I feel like we kind of might have fell off the era of when we had divas in film mm. and television. I mean, there definitely are still some, but I'm glad they don't exist as much because I feel like that type of uh, personality is often used other words to uh, avoid the word abusive. True. <laughs> abusive. True. And you cannot pay me enough to get abused at work. Absolutely not. And by a white man, no less. No, 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 my ancestors. (laughs) My ancestors. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. I'm good on that love. Thank you. Um, Yeah, this movie is definitely a cultural phenomenon. And it is in the library of Congress. Congress. Yes. I could be wrong. I'm just assuming. I want to say it is, um, but it's right there. I, I did read that it had, um, it, it had, it probably is that, I don't know. I know it's in some very important library because it was deemed like of high importance to American culture. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I mean, Just a fun fact. I mean, I guess 
Um, and again, I just think all of it is from the look of it. And I wonder if it didn't look as realistic as it did, would it still get the same hype? Okay. I feel like I'm not being controversial when I say this because this is Black Women Watch. Right. But I do feel like there are just certain movies that like when you're like even when I was in film school or now, you know, you just chalk it up to like this is some white people shit. So this is why they think it's good. Like Yeesh. white people shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to chalk it up to that. I'm going to chalk it up to that. <laughs> like there are just certain movies that it's just like everybody's like it's so good and then you watch it and you're just like I think it's a cultural disconnect because <laughs> yeah I, I wholeheartedly agree. I was like this is not something if I was alive back then and I was a moviegoer I don't think this was something that I would have chosen to watch no give me the Cleopatra Jones <laughs> right that's what we came here for um no <laughs> um and I always try and tie these conversations and these movies back to the title of the show which is Black Women Watch but I mean at this point I'm like can I even do that here? Because there were just no Black women and no Black people involved in this movie. I don't think any people of color involved, period. Yeah, and uh, I think that's another thing. Like, I just took it took it for granted because I feel like, at least nowadays, like, when you watch, like, a space epic, there's mm-hmm. at least one or two Black people, even if they're just the sidekicks, you know? Right. There's always somebody. So it was the absolute lack of any. I was like, wow. Yeah, there were just none. And... um I don't know. I just think it's it's extremely important, not only in this genre, but in all genres that we get that representation. Because again, it's like, you can't tell me (laughs) in space, black people don't exist. You cannot tell me that. You just know science fiction. You can't sit here and be like, oh, black people, that's um, historically inaccurate. How? How sway? Please tell me. So this is a sound, might sound a little bit woo-woo, but I will also say these type <laughs> of tales are also just uh, reimaginations or fairy tales or dreams of colonization. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's how Ooh, I feel it is because in those type of things, they're going to another planet essentially to take over or whatever they've already taken over and there are not meant to be any people of color and barely any women. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just like this, this feels feel a little bit Christopher Columbus-like. True. I didn't even, damn, I didn't even realize that. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and that makes me think about um, the episode I did on The Thing when mm-hmm. I noticed that. Okay, we yeah, I love some- that episode. I'm a big fan of the show. I listen to every episode. <laughs> oh, thank you. I probably don't listen to this song because I hate my own voice. Oh, but. <laughs> my God. <laughs> no, you sound fine. I love your voice. Um, but it makes me think about that episode and what I read, you know, okay, so we do have some black characters, right? Black men characters, mind you. But even then there was a, a issue with one of the characters being written in a very stereotypical way to the point mm-hmm. where someone who was going into reach for that character just basically went off on the director and was like, why would you want to write something like this? Like, why would you want to portray a black character like this? And I feel like from the 60s to the 80s maybe there might have been a jump because you did have that period of black flotation films um but even then black yeah uh, I feel like that's a whole nother episode I don't even want to get into that but um (laughs) you'd have to dedicate a season to yeah I would definitely 100% dedicate a season to that um but I just felt like maybe there might have been a gradual move into writing better black characters um especially because some if not the majority of black flotation films were written by white men um I don't know but then again it may not make that big of a difference but 
I think it was because I, I think that again, like us being alive right now, we really take it for granted because the way black characters were written even 10 years ago, yeah. it was like some shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a lot. I could curse, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. You're I've fine. been cursing. No, you're right? fine. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I feel like it has been like a lot, a like, greater shift, you know? And mm-hmm. like now, what I always say, like, is that they're like characters, not caricatures, mm-hmm. you know? And this has mm-hmm. been a great change within 10 years alone, even though we got a longer way to go. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> the past 10 years has, has done something. It's past 20, so imagine 30 or 40 years. Yeah, for sure. And it just, it's kind of a thing that um, in terms of the movie, the thing, um, when it was mentioned why women were not a part of the film, they argued that if we did put a woman in this particular movie it would have turned into a love interest and I'm like well it's not going to turn into a love interest unless you make it a love interest Mm -hmm. like I'm not going to go watch a movie see a woman and a man on the same team together and then automatically assume oh they're they're having sex or they're in a relationship like it's no it's just a man and a woman working together girl don't Um, you know that women don't have jobs why would they be working together (laughs) right like why the heck is this woman in Antarctica to begin with but um yeah it's just the thing of like I guess making a mountain out of a molehill and also I know a big conversation that a lot of people were having and I remember I guess this from more coming of age movies that were coming out lately like Booksmart, um, Lady Bird, um, whatever else that's out by A24 or whatever. (laughs) Um, A lot of people were like why aren't these films showcasing Black women or like black people in general and it's a thing of like do you want them to showcase black women in general though because I think that's also what happened with um little women people were like well why are there any black characters in this like why are they slaves and and it's like okay but would you want to see a black version of this like be honest I wouldn't I feel like I don't I mean I'm of the camp like I don't want a black version I don't care about a black version because I probably don't Mm -hmm. care about the white one I prefer we just do different projects yeah we don't need any more IP let's just get some new stuff out there and I've been thinking about that in regards to this film I'm like okay but would I have wanted a black character because I'm pretty sure if we did get a black character he would have been suited like (laughs) first definitely would have to be fair like Three out of four cast members were zooted. <laughs> exactly. <weeks>. So <laughs> he would have been one of them. He would not have been the main character. Um, so that just makes me think, like, why is it such a thing that we kind of want to input ourselves into these certain situations or films, what have you, when it is very clear that it is not meant for us? And why are we not focusing on... And I feel like a lot of us are, but I feel like there's also a big portion of us that aren't, like, why do we want to assimilate into this when we can just go off and make our own thing? Um, and that's kind of what I think about when people are like having that whole argument. I think it was about Super Superman, like the new Superman movie and like James Bond movies. Well, why? Well, why can't we just have a black version of that? And it's like, okay, but again, do you want a black version of that? I don't want to see a black version of Superman. I'm sorry. I don't want to see the white version of Superman. I'm, I'm not a fan. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a horror movie that just came out on Netflix um Mm -hmm. very easy to tell I won't name names but it does not does not take a rocket science to figure it out and um the two characters are quote-unquote a black family but the movie still feels so white even though there's these Mm -hmm. two black main characters quote-unquote black main characters yeah um where it's just like we could have did like the music 
there's like no like maybe one or two black songs you know mm-hmm. and it's just like I don't know that like I'm not saying you know we all do the same thing like black people aren't a monolith obviously sure. but there's nothing to culturally signify these characters as black except for one of them is brown or dark skin other than that it's like nothing like anybody could have been these people exactly and I just feel like if you're just putting me in there as a placeholder or if you're just putting me in there to check off a box oh look we are diverse but you aren't giving me the liberty of being who I am and that is like being like specifically a dark-skinned black woman I don't want it I don't want it you can keep it I will also say it's it's a lot more to uh I guess um, making a black story than just having you know the black mm-hmm. characters because like I said you got the black characters but you don't have any perspective or whether it's culturally or about the characters personality or even just you know um like going back to that movie you know you're living in a very white town and nobody's facing racism like nothing at all that would signify you know that this is like a black person's life and not like racism is our every every part of our life mm-hmm. but you know it, it's something yeah. we have to deal with so it's like, you can't just ignore a black person's existence and just say, this is the black character, you know? That to mm-hmm. me, at least that's how I feel when I'm watching stuff like that. It's like, there's nothing to signify that this person is actually black. Right. And it just, I don't know. I, like I said, I, I thought about that when I was watching this movie. It's like, okay, <laughs> a lot of people were talking about that too with the Titanic as well. They were like, there's no black people in a Titanic. Given that it is somewhat, I guess, historically correct, uh, yeah, they, there, we there would have been in the be, basements with the I'm rats. Say, That's there, where we would have been. <laughs> there is no reason for Black people to be on the ship. And I think I did read this very interesting article when I want to say that there might have been one, one Black person on this ship. One or two. There was like a very little number of Black people on this ship. But it's On the like, Titanic? or, or Yeah, I think spaceship. on the Titanic. Okay. <laughs> I think there was like one Black person on that ship. Um, and I want to say that he did pass like he didn't he wasn't able to get out um but even then it's just like again when I watch these movies it's like okay do you actually want a black person in this movie or like what are what is it that you really are trying to say like you just want to say like I just want to fit in but it's like to be fair I feel like we are at that period where we can see like we see what happened you know when people mm -hmm. asked for black people to be those type Mm -hmm. of things like um whether it's like these type of sci-fi horrors I feel like this one wasn't as hoary as the ones that we're used to now but like you know when they add the black person they just kill them first yep and that's it. except that's for it. alien alien versus true. predator should I say true, true shout enough. out to Nye. yes <laughs> I was like my queen she lives um yeah and and I guess that's kind of why I like sci-fi again because you can be and do anything and I feel like as a black person a lot of our lives is a bunch of people telling us what we can and can't do and who we can and can't be um but at least I know okay this is a sci-fi movie about for example Star Wars about Jedis walking around with these lightsabers dueling each other for a corrupt society and government Mm -hmm you know, with these droids and Jabba the Hutt and all these things, like, and you're trying to tell me that I cannot exist in this universe. You are out of your mind. And at that point, I'm just going to go ahead and just call you a racist because like, there's just absolutely no way that like, I can exist in a type of universe like this. You know what I think? I think we should just bring back Afrofuturism. Let's, let's, let's hit rewind. Let's bring it, let's do it again. Yes. It was cool the first time. (laughs) 
it was really cool and uh spoiler alert for my final episode um so sad it went by so fast but I am gonna be um talking about the first movie with an all-black or the first sci-fi movie with an all-black cast in it um I'm very excited about that and I just really want (laughs) to I really want to like harp on that especially moving forward and I think that's why like for the pilot that I'm writing which you have read um Mm -hmm. that's why I like harp on those things so much is because I just want to be able to bring that back I want to see that again like no no offense to white people a little offense (laughs) just a tiny bit more than half offense it it is it is (laughs) again like how many movies will you show me about white people crying in space I don't want to see it anymore I don't I'm sorry I just I have no interest in it it's very sad it's bleak it's not giving me anything you know she's not giving me what she's supposed to give although I will say I will never get tired of seeing a frozen body floating in space that's my favorite thing that they do really (laughs) yeah because it's just like damn that was a crazy death and so you just, they always just show the body floating so that to, to punctuate, like, damn, they're dead, dead. Like, they're not coming oh, yeah, back. They're, they're, no, it's not 100%. a joke. <laughs> um, and I think that's another reason why, again, I like space in theory and why I would never want to go to space at all is just because something can happen, something can malfunction, and the next thing you know, you're being zooted out <laughs> into space and that's it. You're just going to float With for the rest of your life. on your yeah. fingers. <laughs> and you, you're just going to die, which makes me think about the new fast and furious movie where they they went to space and uh you know what yeah. i haven't seen it but i have heard some reviews <laughs> some reviews on reputable npr podcasts <laughs> i i thought they were joking i thought they were joking you know what i'm not even gonna say i thought they were joking i knew that they were serious i just didn't think they, they were gonna do it in this movie but i don't want to watch it yeah please just watch a little it bit. just <laughs> Did you see it? I did see it. I'm not even gonna lie. Thursday night. Thursday night. Did you like it? I was in there. It doesn't look like you liked it. (laughs) Uh, Just from facial expression. Out of all of them, this one felt the more unrealistic. And I know about, I think after maybe the second or third one, they all just started becoming unrealistic. But this one felt like they were leaning more into a lot of the comments where people were like, okay, there's no way that um John Cena's gonna catch a car with his hands and they leaned into that and was like yeah he caught a car with his hands oh and God. it just I what think, do you think they're going next oh they're definitely doing Jurassic Park that's gonna okay. be a crossover we're definitely gonna see some dinosaurs <laughs> it's the last movie too so you gotta go out with the bang they're definitely doing dinosaurs. yeah I was definitely thinking I would love to see them in the jungle yep see yep. like they discover an ancient civilization that has also <laughs> like been untouched by the rest of the world but they have also made their own cars out of like stones and they go even faster than whatever kind of the ferrari they're driving and crashing into buildings in fast and furious that's what i want to see i want to be in the writer's room i want to be on set (laughs) i am ready for them to start digging into some dinosaurs i am ready I've only ever seen one of them. I think I seen one when I was in like seventh grade in theaters, and mm-hmm. then I seen another one like in twenty nineteen in theaters. They're very weird movies, but they are. And I just I don't know why I just love them so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
but on that note I think we are going to close out this episode um I think there were a lot of good points made a lot of good points made and I just want to thank heaven again for joining me so I will give you this time to promote yourself promote your stuff or what are you selling because I want to buy (laughs) so you got a website anything like that like go for it yeah first of all thanks for having me I love this podcast Mm -hmm. I remember when you were like in the flyers yeah um what am I selling myself (laughs) (laughs) I write things um you can find me at writtenbyheaven.com um I'm on twitter and in nope twitter at hev h-e-a-v-c and the number four if you want to follow me or whatever for more hot takes (laughs) I guess I don't really watch movies I'm with a tv girl um yeah that's pretty much it I mean I'm on Instagram but that's c-o-zero-l I don't have a lot of followers but if you want to see me look cute in pictures feel free she is um, extremely cute in all her like, pictures yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me yes thank you so much for being here and of course that just means that you have to come back for the next season which we still don't know what that's gonna be um yeah, I think I might keep that a surprise. I think I might actually say what it is like or choose the next season live um, with the next episode. But I don't know. We'll yeah. see. We'll see how I'm feeling. Um, but yes. <laughs> but I am so excited again. Thank you for being here. And we are going to leave it at that. Of course. Talk to you later. Thank you. So that is what Black women have been watching this week. As always, I want to thank everyone for taking the time out to listen, and I ask that you do leave us a nice little review. Maybe you learned something, or maybe you had an interesting fact that you wanted to add from the movies that I reviewed so far. Um, Leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating while you're there. And if you want to keep up with me and the show, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram or both at bwwthepod, that is uppercase bww, lowercase the pod. From the Fifth Element Network, I'm Tishawn Pugh, and uh, this has been Black Women Watch. Thanks to everyone, and stay safe.